0: Jennifer vanished sometime in the overnight hours. Right now, there is no trace. Investigators say evidence leads them to believe that she's dead. Stick my nose back on the trail. That's all I can do. This is already gone. Already gone. Already gone. On February 9th, 1991, Brad King found his wife, local news anchor Diane King dead in the driveway of their farmhouse. She'd been shot twice. At first, police looked for an obsessed fan, someone who carried their interest in the pretty, dark-haired woman way too far. But this case would lead them somewhere much closer to home. Come with me to the spring of 1956 in Detroit, Michigan, when Diane Marler is born to parents Frida and Herbert Marler. Diane Marler was one of four children and a member of the Mohawk Nation. When she was a girl, her father passed away and her mother remarried a man named Royal Newton. Diane then changed her last name from Marler to Newton. Like my own mother, in the 1970s, Diane was a student at Wayne State University in Detroit. Diane went on to earn a degree in communications. Then she enlisted and served in the Army Signal Corps. After her military service, she took a job in Denver, working as a researcher for a news station. Diane was eventually promoted to on-air talent and worked as an anchor. It was at this time, in the early 1980s, that she met her future husband, Brad King. Bradford J. King was born January 15, 1947, to Mother Marjorie. Not much is known about his early life. Brad graduated from Western Michigan University with a bachelor's degree in communications and history. He got a master's degree in criminal justice from Michigan State University. During the 70s and early 80s, he worked as a police officer in the Detroit suburb of Pontiac. This is back when the city of Pontiac had its own police force. These days, Pontiac is patrolled by deputies from the Oakland County Sheriff's Office. According to a story in the Battle Creek Inquirer, in the 1970s, Brad worked as a high school liaison officer. That's where he met his first wife, a teacher. They had a daughter together, and his daughter was a teenager when Brad married Diane in 1984. Brad had divorced his first wife in 1982. Brad and Diane were married at the First Unitarian Church of Denver. From 1987 to 1989, Diane was on air working as a news anchor for KJCT-TV in Grand Junction, Colorado. In March of 1988, they welcomed their first child, a son named Marler. Both Diane and Brad missed their friends and family back in Michigan. When Diane was offered a morning anchor position at WUHQ-TV Battle Creek, they jumped at the chance to be closer to loved ones. The family relocated from Denver to the small town of Marshall, Michigan. They rented a property that had both a farmhouse and a barn. The little family seemed happy. Besides being an anchor, Diane also served as a producer and anchor for 41 News Primetime, the station's documentary unit. She was known for extensively researching topics, as well as for her voice and appearance. According to the TV show Forensic Files Now, Diane was well-regarded in the industry and in the community. You see, Diane wasn't just a pretty face on your TV screen. She was active in the community, volunteering at a local soup kitchen, and spending time with underprivileged children. While Diane's career was doing great things, Brad had a part-time gig teaching criminal justice courses at nearby Western Michigan University. Despite her work schedule and obligations, they wanted to expand their family, and Diane became pregnant with their second child. In late 1990, they welcomed a daughter, Kateri. Diane was earning good money at the TV station, and her salary wasn't the only perk of her job. She also got to meet celebrities. In Michigan, particularly in the late 80s, early 1990s, Ted Nugent, a well-known musician, who also sponsored a camp for disadvantaged children, and his wife, Charmaine, visited the studio for an interview with Diane. In the summer of 1990, when Diane was pregnant with their daughter, a male admirer began stalking Diane. The harassment started with repeat phone calls. After the first call, Diane told a coworker that she thought it was her husband playing a prank but Brad said he was not behind the calls, which started to come in more frequently. The caller told Diane he wanted to learn about the news business and hoped Diane would meet him for lunch. In mid-October, Diane arrived home to a note from the stalker. This note, written with cut-out words from a magazine, read, You'll be sorry you didn't have lunch with me she was horrified to realize that her stalker had tracked a pregnant Diane to the farmhouse she shared with her husband and toddler-aged son. Diane was heavily pregnant and absolutely terrified that her stalker knew where she lived. A co-worker would later say that Diane sobbed with fear over the threat and invasion of her privacy. While Diane was frightened and emotional, her husband, the former cop, appeared unfazed. And listeners, Diane was really scared by all of this. She told station management about the calls in the letter. They decided that Diane could put one of her investigative stories about illegal drugs on hold in case that had anything to do with the stalking. A report was filed with the police, and they investigated, trying to learn what they could about Diane's stalker. Concerned for their team, the station hired more security, and Brad installed outdoor lights at home, At work, Diane would not get out of her car unless someone was there to protect her. When she got home at the end of the day, she wouldn't get out of her vehicle until she saw Brad. If he wasn't home, she'd look in all the windows before she'd go inside the house. Then, in November, her baby girl was born. Things settled down for a bit, but it was the calm before a terrifying storm. On Thursday, February 7, 1991, Diane made the drive from Marshall to Detroit to spend time with her family. She planned on leaving the kids with her mom for the weekend, but Kateri wasn't feeling well, so she took the kids back home with her. On February 9th, when Diane's mom called Brad to tell him Diane was on her way home, she made no mention of the children coming with her. So Brad had no idea that Diane would not be alone. It was 6.30 p.m. when 44-year-old Brad King called 911 and, with panic rising in his voice, said that he'd found his 34-year-old wife in the driveway of the farmhouse. He made no mention of her being dead. When police arrived on scene, they found Diane sprawled near the left rear tire of her Jeep. She was on her back, her legs folded beneath her. Her arms were over her head, palms up. There was some blood seeping from her nose, but that was the only visible injury. They checked her for a pulse, but couldn't find one. Diane was still warm to the touch. When paramedics arrived and examined Diane, they found that she'd been shot twice, once in the chest and once in the crotch. It's believed that with those injuries, the mother of two died quickly, surviving for perhaps two or three minutes after being wounded. Inside the Jeep were Diane's two children, and Marlar, her oldest, was screaming. Their father, Brad, had left the children alone in the car, and he also didn't go near Diane's body. Police found Brad on the porch of the farmhouse hollering for someone to please help his wife. Police looked at Bradford King, who was dressed in head-to-toe camouflage. When questioned, he told officers that he'd been out on a walk in the fields, near some hay bales, and when he returned from his walk, he'd found Diane in the driveway. Brad said that yes, he had heard shots while out walking, but he thought it was the work of local hunters. Brad also told police that Diane had a stalker who'd been harassing her at work, and the stalker left a crazed letter in the mailbox at the farmhouse. When police walked out in the fields to verify Brad's story, they found no footprints in the snow near the hay bales. It was the first inkling that something was really wrong with his story. The murder of Diane King was big news in the area, not just because she was a news anchor and highly visible in the community, but because Marshall was a safe place to live. Murders were and continue to be quite rare. As police investigated the murder, they spoke with Diane's co workers, including those back in Colorado. Her boss in Grand Junction, Mike Moran, described Diane to the Battle Creek Inquirer as being quote, abrasive and pushy, and quote, domineering towards Brad. After Moran made these statements about the recently murdered mother, he was fired from his job. He was the only person police spoke to who had negative things to say about Diane King. Part of the initial investigation involved an intensive search of the farmhouse and property, and this included the barn. While searching the barn, they found a shell casing in the loft, leading police to believe that the shooter was concealed in the barn when Diane arrived home with her children. Oddly enough, the family pet, a Doverman Pinscher who was kept in the barn, did not attack or deter the shooter from entering or exiting. And I should mention now that during the search of the property, they discovered that the farmhouse had a broken window. Two days after the murder of Diane King, police brought in a tracking German shepherd named Travis. He led police from the loft, through the woods behind the King house, to a creek bed. And in that creek bed, police found a 22 caliber scoremaster rifle. According to forensic files, this rifle would later be linked to the shell casing found in the barn. However, the two 22 caliber bullets taken out of Diane's body couldn't be officially matched to the gun and casing because they were deformed. Police learned that Brad King was known to use the same rifle that was found in the creek. When asked about the rifle, Brad said he used to own one like it, but he sold it in the mid80s. Now, he only owned a shotgun. His story didn't hold up when multiple people came forward saying they'd seen Brad with a twenty two caliber rifle in the years since he claimed to have sold it off. When they examined Brad's gun cabinet, they found twenty two caliber shelves and a twenty two cleaning kit. These are odd things to hold on to for a gun supposedly sold years earlier. When police examined footprints found near the creek where the gun was recovered, they were a match to boots owned by Brad. Police developed a theory that the killer, most likely her husband, hid in the loft and shot Diane as she exited the Jeep. Then he walked up to her where she lay in the driveway and shot her again at close range. An absolutely cold-blooded murder. This murder is especially terrible when you know that her two small children were right there and likely witnessed the entire thing. After shooting her, Brad did not attend to his traumatized children... Instead, he headed to the creek to dispose of the gun and then returned to the house to summon authorities. And while Marshall was a small town with not a lot of murders, police knew what a grieving husband looked like, and Brad King was not it. When asked about what they saw as indifference on his part, Brad responded that he'd worked for years as a police officer, and that taught him to manage his emotions well. After Diane's murder... Brad made many phone calls to break the news that his wife, the mother of his children, was dead. He even reached out to Ted Nugent to tell him the news. Brad told Ted that Diane had been stalked by a crazy fan, and that's who he suspected had killed Diane. The musician thought this call was, at best, unusual. According to a story in the LA Times, there was a rumor that Diane was having an affair with a local businessman and it was the businessman who'd killed her. So many people were calling the police asking about this rumor. Police issued a statement saying the rumor was not true. There were two other rumors about her murder. One was that the stalker got her, and the other was that Brad had murdered his wife. Little did the locals know, within two days of Diane's murder, police were sure that Brad was guilty. He was pretty much the only person investigated, but it would take almost a year for investigators to gather enough evidence to charge him. During their investigation, police also learned the following, which made them even more suspicious of Brad. Shortly before her death, Diane told her husband that she wanted to quit her job and be a stay-at-home mom to three-month-old Kateri and three-year-old Marler. Brad did not like this idea because it meant he'd have to work full-time. Brad enjoyed his part-time teaching gig at the university. He also enjoyed hanging out with college students and partying at frat houses. He didn't want to give up his good time for her happiness, nor did he want to lose Diane's large salary. When police spoke to Diane's sister, Denise, they learned that Brad was angry at Diane for even thinking about leaving her job. Denise said that Diane was contemplating a divorce possibly because Brad was carrying on affairs with his students at Western. One of those students, a young woman named Anne, told police that Brad said he was separated from Diane and that he had custody of Marler. Police also learned that Brad was upset because Diane had frozen their bank accounts. Anne also told investigators that she'd been to the farmhouse when Diane was out of town, and while there, she met the family dog, the Doberman I mentioned earlier. Brad bragged that the dog was a trained attack dog and would go after anyone who tried to hurt his family. Remember, the shooter likely hid in the barn where the Doberman was kept when Diane was shot. It seems unlikely that a stranger could get past this trained dog, take up a position to shoot Diane, then exit the barn without having to face down a large, potentially aggressive animal The rumor mill surrounding the case continued to churn. Police learned that Brad had a date with one of his college girls the day after the murder, and he'd even been out with a student the day his daughter, Kateri, was born. Going through reports, investigators came across a home break-in that Brad reported on December 12th, 1990. At the time, Brad was home alone and Diane was in Detroit with the kids. Diane didn't believe him about the break-in, She thought that Brad made the whole thing up just to frighten her. Police then had an expert look at the letter Diane received at home from her stalker. This expert said that whoever wrote the letter did not make the phone calls, but the person that wrote the letter knew about the harassing calls. It may feel like there is more than enough evidence to bring Brad down and finally hold him accountable for the murder of his wife, Police and prosecutors are painstakingly building a case, and this will take several months. Meanwhile, Brad is not doing well. He's been fired from his teaching position at Western, and he's grown tired of talking to police about the murder. He packs up the kids and moves back to Colorado. In January of 1992, almost a full year after the murder of Diane King, the county prosecutor reviewed all the evidence in the case and finally felt there was enough for a conviction. On January 31st, Brad was arrested in Colorado and charged with the murder of his wife. There were Diane's two young children to consider, and a judge ordered that both sets of grandparents share custody of the children. Now, we're gonna shift gears here for a minute. Remember Mike Moran, Diane's old boss from Grand Junction that had only bad things to say about her? Even though he lost his job, he couldn't keep quiet about the case. Moran told the press that Brad was a, quote, pretty mild guy who was always in a good mood. He said Brad was pleasant with a good sense of humor. He didn't believe that Brad killed his wife and said the couple was a good match because Brad was submissive and Diane was goal-oriented. Then, Mike Moran brought up that Diane dominated Brad and that Diane was just a domineering person. It wouldn't surprise Mike if Brad had pent-up anger over Diane's behavior. So, while Mike Moran is running his mouth about the case, Diane's parents filed for custody of the children. Brad, who was incarcerated awaiting trial, fought them, but Royal and Frida won temporary custody of both kids. The trial of Bradford King for the murder of his wife started in November 1992. The prosecution posited that Brad killed Diane because of their marital problems and because he didn't want her to stay home with the children. If she was home with the kids, he'd have to get a real job and support the family, something he had no interest in doing. The prosecution brought up that with Diane's death, Brad would get more than $50,000 in life insurance payouts, and that's the equivalent of $110,000 in today's money. As to their theory of the crime... The prosecution said that Brad went to the loft of the barn and waited for his wife, who he thought would be alone, to pull into the driveway. He showed himself to Diane so she would feel safe getting out of the car, and when she exited the vehicle, he shot her once in the chest. Then he left the barn, walked up to her body, and shot her in the crotch. However, Brad didn't realize that she had the kids with her and that those children witnessed the murder of their mother. Brad quickly got rid of the gun in the woods and returned to the house so he could discover his dead wife and call police. Prosecutors also believed that Brad was behind the threatening letter Diane received back in October. He sent it because he knew it would frighten her. He used cutout words and letters because Diane would have recognized his handwriting. Prosecutors told the court that a stalker would not know Diane's schedule, but Brad would. A stalker wouldn't have shot Diane in the crotch, but Brad, her angry husband, would. A father would not have abandoned his children in the car if he thought a crazed stalker was in the area. But Brad left those children because he knew there was no stalker. He knew that his children were safe. The defense, of course, offered up their own theories. They said Brad did not kill Diane. They didn't know who killed her, but it wasn't her husband. They pointed out that it took them a year to arrest Brad because there was no evidence, other than circumstantial, linking him to the crime. There were no witnesses either. They said Brad couldn't know when Diane would return from Detroit. They explained away his standing on the porch while his wife and children suffered, saying that as a trained officer, he knew better than to contaminate the crime scene. The defense told the jury that a crazed fan killed Diane King. The house was broken into back in December, and when police searched the day of the murder, they found a broken window. Surely this was evidence of an intruder to the property. And while they heard differing theories and testimony from many people, it only took the jury 15 hours to find Brad King guilty of first degree murder and using a firearm in commission of a felony. According to the Detroit Free Press, when Brad heard the verdict, he grabbed the table and appeared pale. And honestly, I think up until that point, Brad thought that he'd gotten away with it. On January 6, 1993, Brad King was sentenced to life without parole for the murder and two years for the felony firearm conviction. When he was allowed to address the court, he said to the judge, What occurred was a conspiracy to convict. I have nothing but contempt for you. Brad would go on to appeal his conviction on multiple grounds, including change of venue due to pretrial publicity. He said Diane's family should not have been allowed to wear buttons with her face on them and that the prosecution shouldn't have been permitted to mention that he was rumored to be having affairs with students. In February of 1996, the Michigan Court of Appeals denied his appeal. As of this writing, Brad is incarcerated in the Thumb Correctional Facility in Lapeer, Michigan. He is in his mid-70s and not eligible for parole. As a postscript, Michigan author Lowell Caulfield wrote a book about this case titled Eye of the Beholder. Caulfield thinks that Brad thought he could get away with the murder because of two things. One, his background in law enforcement, and two, Brad thought that the small-town police force and marshal wouldn't be able to solve the case. Brad thought he could trick people by dreaming up a stalker for his wife thankfully, Brad King was wrong. I'm Nina Instead, the writer, producer, and voice behind the Already Gone podcast. I appreciate you listening, and please be safe.